Major Lindsay in Africa presents Between the Legal Lines, a podcast focused on leading women lawyers who have pushed beyond the boundaries and found success. Welcome to Between the Legal Lines. My name is Andrea Bricka, and I am your host. This podcast is a series of monthly interviews where we explore how women, who happen to also be both executives and lawyers, navigate the boundaries placed upon them due to their roles and their demographic. These women have found success, despite those sometimes very narrowly drawn lines that govern what is acceptable and what is not. And each month we hear a new story from a different woman about what that's like. Joining me today is Jane Wasman. Jane has held high-level legal and business roles in the biopharma industry and currently serves on four corporate boards, including serving as chair of the board of Cellus Life Sciences. Jane, welcome to Between the Legal Lines, and thank you so much for joining me today. Could you please tell us a little about who you are and the career path you took to your current position as a member of four corporate boards? Hi, Andrea. Thanks for having me. I'm really delighted to be part of this great conversation series. As you mentioned, yes, I'm currently focusing on corporate boards. I started out in private law practice and also worked on the Hill for Senate Committee in D.C. Uh, And after that, I then ended up going in-house at a global pharmaceutical company. So that was my first real introduction to the business world, being in an environment where, yes, I was a lawyer, but I always viewed myself as a business person who had legal expertise, and I tried to approach what I did from a business perspective. And this being a global pharmaceutical company, there was a lot going on from the standpoint of both U.S. and international businesses, and this was a company that did everything from R&D to manufacturing to commercializing and everything in between, and I was fortunate to have had a variety of opportunities to work with pretty much every, every single one of those, including being based in Europe for three years as part of the international business, and it really allowed me to get a broader perspective well beyond the legal role. After, after, that, after that role, I then went into sort of the opposite side of the business, which was into a small private biotech company. And while I had in some ways thought that the experience would be similar except downsized, it was actually a very, very different world because at a, a large company that's selling billions and billions of dollars worth of product, you the one thing you have is money and you never have enough, but you've at least got got financial resources. Whereas at a, at a, a small biotech company that's not selling any product, all you're doing is spending money on, on development. Uh, look, keeping track of your financial resources and 
is is really a key part of the business uh, because you never have enough cash to get you to where you need to go. You're always having to think about how you're going to raise it. So it ended up being a much more different experience than from that perspective than I had expected, which was actually terrific because I learned a lot and I became more financially focused and learned a lot in particular about that part of the business as well as the, you know, what that involved working with investors, et cetera. So um, that that was great. I started at the company in the more typical GC role. So I, I had, you know, the typical legal and IP as well as corporate secretary. I was also chief compliance officer. And so that was, you know, that was all a very comfortable, natural fit. I started down the business path when I was given responsibility for the quality department, which at that time meant building one because I started, it started with, I was the quality department. By the time um, I ended, it was a department of about 50 people and was really a pretty sizable responsibility. Over time, this was another environment where I was fortunate enough to be given expanding roles. And as we expanded as a company, both going public and becoming a commercial organization where we actually had drugs on the market and continued to develop others, uh, I always liked looking across the business and thinking strategically and looking long-term, which is someone who at that point wasn't in charge of an operation with PL responsibilities, it was, you know, it was maybe easier for me to be looking longer term. And so I ended up being named chief of strategic development. And all of this is in addition to the the other roles. Uh, there was never a, a substitution. It was always an addition. And so I was in charge of strategic planning and assessment and responsible for all of our long-term planning. I I continued in that that series of roles for a while, and then I was then given the opportunity to take on a, a, a pure business role, which was as president of international. So in that role, I was responsible for you know establishing and then eventually um, running our ex US operations, which would have included commercialization um, at intended in the future. So this was a true business role. So by that point, I was in what is really not your typical GC role, which is I was president of international and general counsel. It was a true hybrid role. Uh, And that, I think, is one of the things that certainly did help me when I eventually wanted to then pivot to becoming, you know, to joining corporate boards. So I was at I was at Accorda for a long time and was offered the opportunity to be the CEO of a small company. I ended up not doing that, but by that point, I was already thinking about corporate roles. And I, I just to fast forward there, got my first my first corporate board, which was a company that was just going public and I, they asked me to be the chair. So it was a great experience, but I will say that it's, it's not the easiest role to be for your first corporate director to, 
to be the chair of the company, particularly with a newly public company. But, you know, as I mentioned, it, it's been a great experience. And so I, I joined that board. I added a second board. And then over the past uh, year or so, I've added two more boards. So I'm now on the board of three public companies and one private company. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just really been a terrific experience. Serving as a director on four boards, does that equate to a full-time job? Well, sometimes it equates to several full-time jobs, but for the most of the time, if when you average it out, no, it, it doesn't. Um, I also am the founder and president of Jay Wasman Advisors, a consulting firm that's focused on strategic, operational, and corporate governance matters for life sciences companies. So I, I find that while there's a lot of juggling that's required, uh, overall, there's there's the ability to fit in both board work and non-board work. Has any one person been particularly helpful in your career? You know, not look, none of us get to where we are by ourselves or simply on the strength of our own capabilities. I can't say that there was one person in particular, certainly along the way, I have had support that I've been greatly appreciative of. I've learned a lot from you know my managers, peers, collaborators, et cetera. You can't succeed without that. But I wouldn't say that I had had a specific mentor. What about being a GC did or didn't prepare you for being a member of a corporate board, particularly compared to the business roles that you held? I would say that, you know, it's ironic because when people look at uh, who's qualified to be on a board or or not qualified to be on a board. Unfortunately, the legal position actually isn't the most popular position to be coming from. And I, I think it has something to do with some of the the lawyer stereotypes, you know, lawyers being too risk adverse or lawyers just being lawyers. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we, you know, we, we know what the stereotypes are. Um, but I, it's ironic because I think, frankly, my role as corporate secretary w- prepared me very well and even more than my business roles really for being on a board because you get to see how boards operate. You see the types of issues they face. You see the questions that they do ask and the questions that they don't ask. Um, you see, you, you know what board committees do. You learn about corporate governance. And all of that is is very valuable. Um, for In the GC role, I, like many GCs, have been heavily involved in business development and doing deals. Uh, I, I've, I've dealt with activist shareholders. I've dealt with a, a you know just a range of issues that are that are some of the most important issues that boards face. So I think that being in the the GC role really prepared me very well for being on a board. Having said that, I certainly learned a lot in my business roles, and in particular at Accordo, one of the roles that I picked up along the way was chief of strategic development. And I was always interested in strategy. And that was a role that put me in charge of long-term planning and development of strategic plans for the company. That's certainly something that's very important when you're on a board, the ability to think strategically, to, to think 
broadly and and bring a broad perspective. So, and to have sort of a more business oriented focus for what the board is doing. So those those were some things that I think did prepare me well for being on a board. I, I will say that although I felt very comfortable when I when I uh, joined my first board, what I really did not appreciate and, and I think is hard to appreciate until you're on a board is just the nature of the fact that you know, your your meeting, let's say four times a year, is average for boards, with having you know, maybe calls in between for committees meetings, etc. So, while boards may, from the outside, look like they're a team, you know, the team is the board. Just you have a management team, you have other teams, but in fact, it's not really the same because you don't spend that kind of time together, and also because this is not your full time focus. Pe- you may only be on one board, but then you may well have a day job or you may be on multiple boards. And so the assumption that this is going to be one tight, cohesive team, that's often not the case. And I notice on the boards that I'm on, you know, they vary in terms of boards that have been through a series of crises tend tend to bond in ways that boards of companies that have been fortunate enough not to have a series of crises, you know, you haven't been through that kind of in the trenches bonding experience. So I think that's really hard to appreciate until you, you know, you are, have gone through that on boards. Talk to me a little bit about, if you can, just the role of women on boards. There's just an increase in this diversity on boards as a woman on on a board, on several boards, uh, what do you what do you see a role that women can play on these boards that have typically been men? Well, I don't think it's in particular a woman's role, but I do think that there is, and what women bring to most boards now is diversity, because as we all know, the statistics are that most boards have, at most, one woman, one woman. Um, some have more, but most don't, and some don't have any. So I think that it's the same it's the same thing that any kind of diversity brings to any kind of discussion. It, you bring different perspectives, maybe different ways of looking at things. And I mean, I always feel in, that in the boards that I'm on that I'm not I'm certainly not filling a woman's seat, and I don't believe that I can or should or or do bring a so-called woman's perspective to things. I think one of the one of the boards I joined that uh, where I was, have been the first woman, and I'm still the only woman on the board. I, you know, I think people were wondering if if that was how I was going to behave. I, I think they maybe they thought I'd want pink napkins at dinner or something, but uh, I. Th- you know, and they've got, they've figured out that, no, that's not actually what I'm doing. But I, I, what I, again, I, I think what happens is that just by virtue of, of being a person who has different networks and have different perspectives and uh, just been in different worlds that, and, and had different kinds of experiences that you're bringing something new to the table 
And I think that that's always important. I think the statistics show that companies that have more diverse boards do do better as a business. So I think it's it's an important role that women can play to help diversify boards. And as a board member, what advice would you give to general counsels regarding their interactions with boards? You've been on both sides now. Being the board member, what are your thoughts? Well, a few things. I, I mean, one, and I could say be prepared and not to stereotype, but women GCs are going to be prepared when they walk into board meetings. And in fairness, so so will most men GCs as well. But I, things that I've learned on being on both sides of this are to be straightforward. Don't sugarcoat what you're saying. Don't hide bad news or you're going to lose credibility. And once you lose credibility, it will be very hard to get it back. And that's true for anybody who's presenting in front of a board. But you know, there were different expectations based on the stereotypes. In other words, when the marketing department comes in, there will usually be jokes about, okay, so if you're telling me you're going to do 20 million in sales, does that mean you're really thinking you're going to do 100 million? You know, the under promise, over deliver. Uh, People don't expect that from the lawyers. And I think it's really important to establish from the very first time you're there that you're someone who can be trusted. That's part of what people expect from their lawyers. Another thing that I would say is to be concise. Uh, For too many lawyers, they sound like there's no detail that's too unimportant to mention. And you will you can see the eyes of your directors glazing over as you get into to aspects of it that are just more than it's it's TMI it's more than they need to know or want to know i, I at my uh, at one of the companies where i worked when you walked in front of the board you they expected you to be able to summarize everything at most on one piece of paper and i there would be lots of discussions about, well, but look at this and look at this, and this is a billion-dollar matter, and how could how could this all be on one piece of paper? And, you know, you'd be surprised, and that's part of the challenge is that you, you just need to ex- accept that boards are, are looking at things at a very high level. That's what they're supposed to be doing. They're not there to micromanage the business. So gearing your presentation to that level will really – will really carry you a long way. And then the last thing that I've learned, particularly now that I've been on a board, is to not assume that the board does or even should remember what you've previously told them. And I know when you're part of management, it's it's interesting because you'll raise something and one of the directors will ask about something and it was something that they were, you know, you, you know you've told them before. And sometimes there's an assumption of, well, gee, have they really been paying attention or are they really that competent? But you have to remember, they're not living the company the way you're living the company. They come in and then they're gone for three months and they may be on the boards of several different companies or they may have their own full-time day job. And you just, directors are not in a position to remember every single detail the way the management team is expected to know it. So keep that in mind because then you, 
what you want to do is make it easy for the board. You don't want the board to have to struggle to figure out what you're saying. And, and so not assuming that they're going to remember every single thing from the past is, it will serve you well. Very interesting. I think the perspective from both sides, people will want to hear about that. Between the legal lines originated because of the boundaries, often real, sometimes implied, placed upon women executives in the workplace. What type of restraints have you seen or experienced in your career because you are a woman, or have you placed any upon yourself? I don't think I've placed restraints on myself. I, you know, coming up in my career, I always believed that in meritocracy, and I felt that that's how. I personally could compete and succeed. And even though there were a lot of situations where, especially as I became more senior, I was often the only woman in the room, I always felt that I was treated fairly. Now, looking back, it's it's clear that there were networks that I and the other women were excluded from, you know, the sort of informal networks that give men better connections and and relationships, which, as we all know, are advantages in business. And, you know, I I remember, you know, at at one company where there was a golf tournament and it was only men. And there weren't very many women who played golf. And I think that was just the assumption of, well, women aren't playing. So they didn't think of inviting them. And, you know, people sort of shrugged it off as, oh, it's just a golf tournament. But it's not just a golf tournament and it's a way to spend the day networking and building relationships with, you know, other executives that, uh, you know, it's, it's a disadvantage if you're not there. Um, ironically, when I first started really seeing more of an impact of, you know, of, of, being a woman was really when I became interested in joining a board. And and it was ironic in the sense that I was now sort of a very senior person and in a position where I felt I was qualified to be on a board. And yet that's when I, like so many other women, started hearing things like, you know, would love to have you on the board. You've got great qualifications, but we're looking for someone who has, who has prior board experience. And there's no question that that is something that women hear a hundred times more often than, than men hear it. Men, frankly, don't hear that very much at all. And while that has been changing in part because there are laws that now require in some states women uh, boards to have a certain number of women on their boards. So they're having to bring on women. And, and, uh, you know, I see it on boards that I'm on where there's more of an openness to consider women who, uh, who have no prior board experience. It's still out there. And so that's, you know, I don't think that's a self-imposed restraint, but it's clearly a restraint. You know, I, I do, believe that, you know, what I see with many women are that they, they feel a burden to be a strong individual performer, to work longer, harder, faster than men do to, you know, be considered just as good. And that, that can become a very serious restraint, not because it's bad to be a strong individual performer, 
but it can result in your not feeling you have the time and, you know, or, or, or maybe sometimes not fully appreciating how important it is to be a good team member and to be a good, you know, networker within your organization. You know, a lot of times, you know, I don't have time to spend an hour at lunch just chatting with this person. You know, I've got work to do. What you find is that while people think it's great that you're working hard, you know, it's rare that someone's going to be dinged because they they took the time to build relationships. And frankly, you know, most places are all about teams and collaboration. And particularly if if you work in areas like the life sciences that are highly cross-functional, and and even if not, uh, being able to work as part of a team is, you know, tends to be as important as your ability to be a strong individual performer. And I, I think that that's something that women probably don't don't focus on enough. I will say, you know, in my own career, certainly coming up, I was never a great networker. And it's not something that I even now think I'm great at, but I do and don't particularly like doing, but I do push myself to do it more. I'm impressed by seeing, you know, younger women now doing more of that. And I think it's something that is now more widely recognized by women as a valuable thing to do. And what I will say, and, you know, speaking from my own experience and others, uh, you know, lots of us say we don't like doing it, but the more you do of it, the more it becomes, it's not just, oh, I'm out there networking. It's, you know, and I'm having a chance to talk to an interesting person and maybe I'll learn something. Maybe I'll build a, re- a relationship with them or at least have someone I could connect with from time to time. And, you know, all in all, it's, it is an important thing to to do. I think it's one of the themes, you know, that I, you know, I, I as we're talking through this, one, one of the things that I think women, you know, have, have been disadvantaged by or disadvantaged themselves by is not, not paying enough attention to the importance of building networks and relationships, et cetera. And not, not because it's something to do politically that, you know, you're being political, that, that was something I always had an aversion to. I, 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 don't want to play office politics. I hate that. This isn't what this is about. This is really about recognizing that you're not an N of one in this company. And if you are, then you're not going to get anywhere. And that's interesting because you have mentioned networking earlier and, and you just talked about it. And maybe that plays into the next topic that I wanted to discuss with you. And that is the fact that the data continues to show gender pay gap for most legal roles, particularly at the GC level. And I wondered if you had any thoughts on closing that gap going forward. And part of that is, how do we get more women into the GC seat and onto boards? Well, I think a key part of it is transparency. So we need everybody to recognize the issue. A lot of people think the issue has gone away. And transparency around the data that demonstrates there's a gap I think will be important, certainly to at least, you know, forcing people to acknowledge, no, it's still a real issue. And it's not that hard to do that. 
there were companies out there that collect data on compensation, and you can certainly look at it and figure out which companies have female and, and which companies have males in the various roles. So I think you can figure that out. You can see, do you, are there experience gaps that account for some of this, et cetera? But I, I think the first step is just making sure we, we all look at an accepted data pool and realize, no, there's a gap there and it isn't just because of experience. You know, the next thing is there needs to be a willingness to speak up about it. And, you know, I think a lot of time women can be reluctant to raise these issues. Some of this is is on the the women themselves. And it's it is we know that it's it's a it's more than just a stereotype, unfortunately, but that men tend to be more confident in issues around compensation for themselves and in asking for raises or asking for higher salaries, et cetera. And I think some of that just as women, we need to own that for ourselves and be willing to speak up for ourselves. Uh, it's also, I think, you know, once you have a role and you're then working on ensuring that you have, you know, that, that you're being paid what you think you should be paid, I think it's building support within an organization so that you are, cons- you are valued and treasured and <laughs> that you're compensated accordingly. Uh, you know, in terms of how do we get people, how do we get women in the GC roles and on boards, you know, it's clearly not going to be a gift. We're not going to get women in these roles just because we value diversity and think there should be more women in, in these roles. Women like men have to work to get these roles. But there's no, I, I think, again, as we've been talking about, there are certainly, you know, particularly at the board level, there, there are gender gaps. And so some of this is about, you know, not just doing a good job and hoping that you're going to be recognized, but realizing that you have to be more proactive about it. And honestly, I think a lot of this is, you know, looking, looking at and using the ways that men have gotten recognized. And again, it goes back to its networking, it's finding mentors, it's being a you know, approaching work as a team sport. And, you know, there's also an element of not being shy about being confident. And, you know, for all the, you know, the, the, the real issues about, you know, double standards and perceptions about, you know, one person's confidence is another person's arrogance. I, I do think that you, you know, as women, you can't be too shy about the fact that you, you're, confident in what you're doing and you believe your role should be valued. Uh, I I will say that, you know, I've been impressed, greatly impressed by the number and strength of women networks that I've seen developing in recent years. And I've met so many just incredibly talented, capable women in roles all ranges of roles, including CEOs and and directors. And to the extent that you can tap into or even build, you know, a network of your own, they're invaluable for reality checks, for when, you, you know, I'm going through this, have you been through that, what have you seen, benchmarking advice, but also to, to get opportunities because these are women who, 
you know, they're on boards, they hear about other boards or their CEOs or GCs or whatever role you're looking for. There's some great networks of women GCs. And one of the things I've been so impressed by is their generosity in sending out to the group, hey, this role is open. If anybody's interested, I'm happy to, you know, make an introduction for you, et cetera. So I think all of this, these are all things that help. And I also, you know, don't minimize the impact of, for example, the California law that's requiring companies to have a certain number of women on boards. I, you know, I, to be honest, I don't like the idea that we should have to legislate the, you know, diversity on boards. But, I, you know, unfortunately, you know, certainly in California, it's it's neat that push has been helpful. And I think that even without it being legislated in, other, legislated in other states, we are seeing more and more companies and industries saying that, you know, you have to have diversity on boards. And as we know, NASDAQ is, is proposing that companies have to have certain diversity on boards to be listed. So if, if that becomes a requirement, automatically you're going to see more diversity on boards. I think it's very interesting what you said about hearing about opportunities and sharing them with others. Because even as a recruiter, I'm surprised by the number of times where people can't think of anybody else. And I think that goes back to the networking. If you have a network, if you hear about an opportunity, you're going to know somebody that you can recommend for that. And, and that would play a huge role, as you said. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I think if I can just add to that, I, you know, I think if you're if you think your next role is a GC or you are a GC or your next role is a board role, you're already an experienced senior person, which means you're in a position to help other women. And, you know, I have to say that, you know, one of the most satisfying things that I find at this point in my career is the ability to help others get to, you know, where I've been and beyond where I've been. And I think it's a great thing to do, whether it's being a mentor or whether it's it's just reaching out to people or when people reach out to you to, you know, you'd be, be surprised how much a half hour conversation can help someone and how much they appreciate it. And, you know, it's a good thing to do. And frankly, that's another way of building your own network. So I, you know, I encourage people who do that. I see so many people, so many people who are willing to do that. What parting advice would you offer to other ambitious women about workplace behavior? Well, it's interesting because I, so one thing I would say is you hear a lot about be authentic and be yourself. And I would caveat that a little to say, okay, be yourself, but be your best self. (laughs) So we all have parts of ourself that are unfortunately quite authentic, but perhaps not something that serves us best. So I would say when you think about who you are, you know, think about, you know, think about that. Uh, It's important to be both trusted and liked. And sometimes, you know, women feel that, oh, there's such a double standard about, you know, men don't have to be likable. I don't really think that's true. And I also think that, you know, if, if you think about it from your own perspective, if you had to work with someone else, would you rather it be someone you liked or someone you couldn't stand? And so, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, again, don't fake it. Don't fake it. 
Uh, but I would never under, never underestimate the value of a sense of humor, which certainly has saved me on more than one occasion. Uh, and I guess my last point is just, it's sort of what we've been talking about all along, which is that the time and work that you spend building relationships is well spent. Jane, thank you so much. This has been Between the Legal Lines, where you have just heard from Jane Wasman, who is an experienced biopharma executive and board member. I am Andrea Bricka from Major Lindsay in Africa. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for a new story from another woman successfully operating between the legal lines. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact me at abricka at mlaglobal.com. Thank you. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.